Welcome to another episode of Berean's Podcast. Each week we share a message from the Bible and examine it to understand and learn to apply it to our lives. The hope is that through the wisdom of the scriptures, we will all be encouraged to make real life change and that the power of the gospel will transform our lives. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode of the Berean Podcast that starts right now. Hey, good morning, faith family. I want to say hello to those gathered in our sanctuary service. Invite all of you, if you would, to turn to James chapter 4. Uh, James chapter 4 is where we'll be this morning. We're continuing in our series we kicked off last week called Traveling Light. Uh, and as some of you may remember, this wasn't the series that we were uh, planning to do. Uh, we had a different series in mind, and yet we felt the Lord was changing uh, our direction to, uh, to talk about uh, the, the freedom that we have in Christ. And after the first week, it's been so obvious that this is what the Lord would have us talk about these next several weeks. The emails have been unbelievable just after week one and uh, the testimonies of what God is starting to do in people's lives. I don't share emails every single week, and uh, but I just felt like I would come back and share a few more. Some of you have even said to me, uh, we really like it when you share testimonies about how people are being impacted uh, here at Berean. So here's just a few things uh, that uh, people sent me this week. Uh, one wrote in and said, I was raised Catholic. And by the way, this is not a dig on Catholicism. I could say the same thing about Baptist in a variety of denominations, but in their experience, they were raised Catholic and it felt normal to hold on to guilt and never talk about it. I beat myself up for my sins, but never questioned the religion. I went through the motions and never understood what I was doing. And then I signed up for a Bible study through the book of Romans. The first few lessons made me question Christianity. Why would God give commandments that we couldn't keep? It was almost like a faith crisis, but I stuck with it, and I'm glad I did. Because now, gone is the weight of guilt for my sins. My relationship with God has been restored. My journey is far from over, but I have found security that it's not in what I do, but what He did for me. That has changed my life. Another wrote in and said, I grew up in a Christian home, taught about the Bible and prayer and to attend church regularly. As a teen, I made decisions that could have ended my life, but God had other plans. I battled guilt and shame over the choices that I'd made and the idea of doing things for God so that he'd be pleased with me began to permeate my relationship with him. I developed that swivel chair relationship with God that we talked about last week. For too long, I'd been walking through my Christian life with a list of what I need to do to make sure God is pleased with me. So you can imagine how deeply the message resonated with me as the Holy Spirit began to pour over my soul. It was maybe the first time in my Christian walk I finally realized it's not about doing more things for God because it's finished. I don't have to earn His love. He displayed that on Calvary. This will be a process, but God will help me move forward as I start traveling light. Another wrote in and said, it's been in my head ever since Sunday that it's not about me, but about Jesus. Are you noticing a pattern? I'm falling in love with Jesus. I'm learning so much about him. I've been without a drink for almost a week, and I used to drink daily. 
Thank you for leading me to a relationship with Jesus. I found freedom. And one more, I can't begin to tell you how today exposed the burdens I've been carrying for years. I grew up in church, Awana as a kid in middle school. I was that perfect Christian. I heard it so often that it became something I had to maintain. This meant that everything I did determined my status. I lived the what you do for God equals who you are before God mentality. I worked constantly for his approval. I raised money for orphans, started Bible studies, and I was exhausted. I kept going because I was afraid that I wouldn't hear well done. People kept telling me that I was a good Christian, but really I was just afraid desperately searching for peace with God. I'd heard a thousand times, it's not about what you do, but what Jesus did for us, but I'd never made the connection that I was living the opposite of that. Hearing that, it's not about me, took a load off my soul. Jesus has carried the load for me and he will love me to the end. I can sleep tonight knowing that he's prepared a place for me regardless of my performance. I can finally rest. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You don't jump out of your seat, I'm going to kick you, all right? (laughs) Man, these are real people that are coming here on the weekends and God's word, the, the power of the gospel is impacting their life. That's why here at Berean, we're all about seeing lives transformed by the power of the gospel. We want you to travel light. We want you to experience the freedom, the real freedom that is found in Christ Jesus. It's why we're in this series called Traveling Light. We're talking about the burdens and the baggage that we often carry in life and kind of our theme verse that we unpacked last week and kind of kicked off the series with is this. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so we're talking about these things that make life heavy and weighty and and, and the rest that we can find in Jesus. Now, uh, this morning, we're going to talk about another uh, piece of baggage that we carry, another burden that we often carry. And basically, what I'm going to do is invite you in as as the Lord has a conversation with me, okay? Because we're going to be talking about the baggage of control, I'm probably the only one in the room that struggles with this, but oftentimes the issue of control is a burden that we carry. It's baggage that we carry in our life, and I believe this morning Jesus wants to start to set us free. And we're going to look at that here in James chapter 4. If you're able to stand in all of our locations, please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. And let's look at what James, the brother of Jesus, has to say to us as he writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town, we'll spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. 
Faith family, pray with me. Please pray with me and let's ask God to bring freedom. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is alive. It's active. And it's changing our lives. Thank you for the testimonies that we've just been able to celebrate of the freedom that you are bringing into the life of people here in this faith family. I pray that this morning as we talk about this issue from your word, that you would continue that work. Help us travel light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Only if the Bible is in error am I wrong. In fact, if I could, I'd bet my life on it. Those are the words of a man by the name of Edgar Wisenut. He he was a, a former NASA engineer, but that's not what made him famous. What made him famous was a book that he wrote entitled 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. And boy, did he become famous. There were 300,000 copies of this book mailed to pastors all throughout the U.S. 4.5 million copies of that book were sold in bookstores. His prediction that the rapture would happen in 1988 was taken so seriously that TBN, Trinity Broadcast Networking, suspended their regularly scheduled programming and gave special instructions on how to prepare for the imminent rapture. Now, I don't know if y'all know this, but the rapture didn't happen in 1988. (laughs) You heard it here, okay? If it did, we are all in really big trouble, okay? But that didn't stop Edgar. No, no, his predictions continued. He wrote more books, made more predictions. He predicted dates in 1989, 1993, 1994, 1997, and then he finally stopped. A prophet that keeps getting it wrong is kind of like a dentist missing half their teeth. You kind of start to wonder, right, what's going on here? I guess Edgar never read the verse that no one knows the day or the hour. The truth of the matter is, he's not the first person who was absolutely certain only to be proven wrong. Ken Olson, who was the president of Digital Equipment Corporation in 1977, said, there is absolutely no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. He missed that one. A Western Union memo of 1876 said the telephone has way too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. Decca Recording Company said of the Beatles, we don't like their sound. And by the way, the guitar is on its way out. (laughs) President of Michigan Bank Savings in 1903, I love this, said the horse is here to stay. The automobile is just a novelty. And I could give you example after example in history of people that were absolutely certain of something and yet they were proven wrong. My guess is every one of you in this place today has a story like that. In one way or another, you were certain of something and it didn't quite work out that way. You were certain that the victory would happen. You were absolutely certain you were going to get that bike for Christmas. You were absolutely certain you'd be accepted in that school. You were certain that she'd say yes. And you were certain it would last forever. 
And one of the difficult things for you to accept was that you were wrong. And if you're here today and that bothers you, I relate to you. I was wrong. In 1996, one time, I was wrong. (laughs) Why does this bother us so much? Here's why. It's because deep down what we really want is control. Deep down, what we really want in life is to be in control of life. We, we want our hands on the steering wheel. We want the account in our name. We want the ball in our hands. We want to control our destinies. Faith family, listen, sanctuary, so listen, I'm, I'm, I want to show you today how this is at the core of many of the burdens that we carry. It is why when life goes out of control that we tend to go out of our minds. We lose it. We flip out. We get so anxious and worried because things are not in our control. Have you ever thought, Faith Family, this morning about how evil that is? You say evil, maybe it's an overreaction, but not quite to the level of evil. And yet that is exactly what James, the brother of Jesus says. Verse 16, look at it. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is, say it, faith family, evil. Now let's be honest, doesn't that seem a little strong, a little too much? Like, come on, James, can we back it down a little bit? Evil? I mean, think of it this way. Imagine that you're in a Bible study and you're taking prayer requests and somebody stands up and they're like, I just need y'all to pray for me. Um, I've been hitting the honky-tonk bars for six months in a row and I just really need, well, yeah, we're going to pray for our brother, okay? Somebody else stands up and they're like, I've just been losing my temper. I mean, the other day, my grandmother asked me to take out the trash and I just slapped her. I mean, I just, I've been losing it. Just totally, well, yeah, we're going to pray for brother, okay? Definitely pray for you. Somebody else stands up and I just really need you to pray for me. I did something evil, evil. I mean, just evil. Well, what did you do? I planned a trip to Atlanta. That's not evil. There's nothing scandalous about that at all. And yet James says, if you're not careful as to how you plan, as to who is in control of your life, that's exactly what it is. Look what he says, verse 13. Come now, you who say, you know, today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town and we'll spend a year there and we'll trade and make a profit. James here is giving a generic example of somebody that's planning a trip, something that you do all the time. Now, let's be clear here, zone in, James is not suggesting that planning is evil. Jesus teaches you to plan, Uh, Luke chapter 14. uh, He talks about if you're going to build a tower, you're going to count the cost. You don't want to get to the end and not be able to finish it. The Bible speaks about God being a God of order, not chaos. And so the Bible is pro-planning. Planning is living on purpose, and we were created to live on purpose. And so hear me, you ought to have a budget, and you ought to set goals, and you should have a direction in life. That's not what James is talking about here. James is talking about here is somebody who plans as though they are in, say it, control. 
and their plans are the central plans of the universe. Their plans are what matter most in life. You say, where are you getting that? Like, are you bringing that into the text? No. The problem with kind of parachuting into a passage like this is you don't get the flow, the context that leads up to it. So let's go back a few verses and see this train of thought. If you go back to James chapter 3, James is talking about how you speak to one another, uh, the, the use of the tongue, and he says this in verse 14. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, that is, you put your desires first in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. It's earthly. It's unspiritual. It's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, well, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And then he moves on into chapter 4, and he starts talking about how we relate to one another and the, the conflicts that we often experience and why that's the case. Look at verse 1. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have. So you murder, you covet and can't obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And then he kind of summarizes this in verse 6. Look at it. Therefore it says, God opposes the what, faith family? The proud, but gives grace to the humble. In other words, if you just go back and see the context that's leading up to our passage, what you'll see is that James is giving a series of examples where people are putting, follow me, their desires as the most important thing. And it impacts the way they talk to each other and it impacts the way they relate to each other and it impacts how they plan and order their life. Look at how exhaustive their knowledge is here in this passage. They know when they're going to go, today or tomorrow, where they're going to go, such and such town, how long they're going to stay, a year or so, what they will do, they'll trade, and what they will receive, they'll make a profit. In other words, they are in complete, say it, control. They're in complete control of their life. And this is not new. This desire for control, this wanting to be uh, in control of our lives runs throughout the biblical narrative. Satan, it's why James can call it demonic, wanted to be in control. Adam and Eve wanted to be in control. The Tower of Babel was all about making a name for myself. Jonah wanted to go his own direction. The rich young ruler didn't want to do it Jesus' way. He wanted to hold on to his stuff. The Pharisees didn't want to let go of their authority. And on and on it goes. The psalmist in Psalm 2 says this, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. We just want to be free. That is, we want to control our lives. What I'm about to say is worth the price of admission today. It's exactly what James is talking about, and it's real. You can worship like a Christian, 
and plan like an atheist. Because you don't give any account for God in your plans. That, Christian, is evil. That, James says, is earthly. That is a recipe for living all your days burdened and heavy laden. You say, well, pastor, the good news is I don't do that. Now, my wife, on the other hand, (laughs) oh, my goodness, pastor, she is a control freak. You can't imagine what it's like to be married to her. And I'm so glad I brought her to church today so that you can set her straight. I want freedom (laughs) from her or him, whatever, right? But it's not me. I don't have this problem, really. Let me ask you a few questions. Have you ever wanted to control the outcome of a game? (laughs) Do you hate being told what to do? You ever complained or grumbled when your plans got changed or ignored? dare they? I got these plans for Mount Sinai. It's the presence of God laminated here in this folder. Do you ever get nervous on roller coasters or when someone else is driving? And by the way, there may be good reason for that depending on who's driving, okay? But I mean, there's this sense of I'm not in control and it makes me nervous. Or or how about this? I'm going to get some of you on this. You're bitter with God because he didn't answer your prayer the way you asked him to. I was supposed to get that job. I was supposed to be in that college. I was supposed to be married by now. My husband was supposed to be healed. God, I know your plans are not my plans, but they really ought to be. And you might not ever actually say that, but you feel that way at times. There's a sense of which I want control. And if you feel that way, I completely understand. Faith family, I was supposed to be the lead pastor of preaching and vision at the First Baptist Church in Hawaii. That's what was supposed to happen in my life. God had clearly other plans. But I love you, all right? I'm grateful. Just don't say this is somebody else because it's not. It's our real life carrying in some way or another this baggage of control. I'm going to go there and I'm going to do this. And you don't give any account at all for God. And the whole thing today that I'm trying to get at, the whole point I'm driving home is this. Notice it on the screen. You will never travel light until you let go of control. You will never travel light until you let go of control. And there's three reasons here in verse 14 as to why you being the ultimate controller of your life is never going to lead you to freedom. The first reason is this, because life is uncertain. James says in verse 14, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. If there's one thing that's certain in life, it's that life is uncertain. Amen? Amen. We haven't heard from my good friend Coelith. You remember my good buddy in the book of Ecclesiastes? I will never let you forget him. 
Here's what he says in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 15. He says, what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. In other words, here's what he's saying. Life is a riddle you can't solve. The moment you think everything's going right, it goes left. And the moment you think it's going left, it goes right. It's entirely, at least at times it appears, random. How many of you, if you look back on yourself at age 18 until now, would say everything went exactly as I knew it would? See, you, come on, listen, listen, listen. You know this. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, so why would you carry the burden of control? You are asking for burdens all your life the longer you keep carrying this around. Life is uncertain. And secondly, life is fragile. James goes on to say, what is your life? You know this. You are a doctor's visit, a car ride, or a day away from all of your plans being changed. Life is that fragile. I shared this story with you back, I think it was last summer, about Tanner and Nikki. Do you remember this couple? They sold everything they had. And they bought a boat. They put everything into this boat. And the very first trip out, it sunk. All of it gone, just like that. Life is fragile. It's easily changed and broken. So why why would you carry this baggage? Look look at the third reason. It's not just that, that life is uncertain and fragile, but life is short. This is the last part of verse 14. He he says, your life is a mist. It's here and then it's gone. Or or you could say it this way. Our life is like the mayfly. You know the story of the mayfly? It waits a year to be born. And then it has a lifespan of about 30 minutes. Anywhere from 30 minutes to 24 hours. Now that's kind of a bum deal, right? You got to wait a year to be born and you only get 30 minutes at most a day. That means you, you're, you're born and you have kids and you get married and you go to work and you graduate college all in 30 minutes, right? What a day. And yet that's our life. These however many years we have in comparison to eternity, it's a, it's a miss. So you're really going to live as though you're the one that's ultimately in control, don't you see? You're only asking for burdens. Peter says it this way. This is uh, 1 Peter 1, verse 24. All flesh, that is humanity, is like grass, and its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Faith family, the only sure thing in life is the revelation of God. The revelation of God. So so here's what I've been getting at all the way to this point in the text is that we so want to be certain about life and we make our plans and it bothers us when it doesn't go that our way because we really want to be the ones in control. And that this is the source of so many of the burdens that we carry. And it's, it's nonsense to think this way because life is uncertain and it's fragile and it's, it's short. You're never going to travel light this way, but there is another way to live. There is a way of freedom. There is a way that you can travel light. 
And James tells us in verse 15, I want you to notice the the change in the text. Look at the word instead, verse 15. Instead, that is, rather than living that way or thinking that way or saying that, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that, if the Lord wills. So there's a, there's a different way of approaching life, a, a, a banner that hangs over your life that all of my plans are if the Lord wills. Now, faith family, this is not James giving you some, some kind of Christian cliche to sound spiritual in your conversation. Well, you sure y'all come over to your house tomorrow if the Lord wills, right? Like, just like, if somebody does it, that just smack them, okay? You have my permission in Jesus' name. Like, just, the point is not, do you, and by the way, if you say that, that's perfectly fine. What, my point is, it doesn't really matter if you say it. The real issue is that the condition of your heart. Do you really believe it? That is, a Christian lives with a submissive heart to the sovereign plans of God. That is how a Christian lives, and this is the key to traveling light, where we realize, sure, I'm going to plan, and yes, I'm going to live with intentionality, but, this is kind of hard for me to admit, I'm not in control. Would you just say that with me, sanctuary, everybody? When I say go, say, I am not in control. This is therapy, okay? I'll send you a bill. (laughs) Ready, set, go. I am not in control. That's how a Christian lives. If the Lord wills. From that, I want to give you three things that will help us start traveling light. From that phrase, if the Lord wills, that I believe is true. And if you want to just say amen, you can say amen. Now, that's not me trying to control you, okay? I, I wouldn't do that. But I'm just saying, like, if you, I don't even care if you say amen out loud, but just if you resonate with this, just put a stake in the ground today. Say, I believe that. Because as you do, you'll start traveling light. Number one is we must know and believe that God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. The Bible says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper and not to harm you. God has a plan. I know the context of that, but I'm saying that for the people of God, God has a plan for you. Do we understand it? No, we don't understand it. Do we always fully know it? Of course not. Right here. For you to fully know and fully understand the plan of God would make you God. So of course you're not going to fully understand his plan, but we know based on God's word, he has a plan for us. Oh, some of you need this today. Jot it down. It's on the screen. Even when you don't know the plan, know that God has a purpose. And and, and if you've been around Berean for very long, you know I am not a coffee mug Christianity. Let's just put something cliche on a mug or a t-shirt or something. I'm talking about this is where the rubber meets the road. This is real life that we believe God has a plan. I'm not going to give you a lot of details, but I'll just tell you a family that came up to me last night after the service that just recently lost Um, a child. And with 
tears in their eyes gave testimony to the fact that they believe that God has a purpose through it all. You got to live this. This is not bumper sticker Christianity. This is real faith. I believe he has a plan. Number two, I believe that God's plan is greater than my plan. And that's going to be hard for you to say if you're still holding on to this. Are you sure about this? Yes. His plan is greater than your plan. Because he is in control, you're not. He is independent, you're dependent. He has the power to accomplish things. You have the power usually to screw things up. He is all-knowing and wise. You're guessing at best. His plans will come to pass. Yours always will not. And at the end of the day, faith family, the future is about God, not us. This whole plan is about the glory of God, and that's for our good. He has a plan for my life, I believe it. And his plan is greater than whatever plans I make, I believe it. And thirdly, God can interrupt my plans anytime he wants. That's the prayer of surrender, the prayer of humility that James is getting at. He's saying, you need to be humble in speech. You need to be humble in how you relate to one another. Don't make your desires the most important thing all the time. No wonder you have fights and quarrels. And you can't make your plans the center plans of the universe for God may interrupt them and you need to surrender to that because God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, to the one that says, if the Lord wills. I'm going to go here. I'm going to do that. I'm going to plan that trip and I'm going to live this life and I'm going to have goals, but it's all under a submission to God. He might have other plans for me. And I'm okay with that. I'm telling you, until you get there and until I get there, we're never going to travel light. Let me give you an example of somebody who lived this way. The Apostle Paul, you heard of him? He's like everywhere in the Bible, right? The Apostle Paul lived this way. He went to Athens and then he went to Corinth and he ends up in Ephesus and he goes to a synagogue and he's speaking with the Jews, which is his typical uh, fashion. And, and he goes to leave and they asked him to stay a little longer. And here is his response. This is Acts eighteen twenty one. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And then he set sail for Ephesus. Again, regarding whether or not the Corinthians would ever see him again. 1 Corinthians 4, 19. But I will come to you soon. I've already booked my airline ticket. I'm going to go. I've got plans to come back to Corinth if the Lord wills. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, listen, okay, I'm going to make these plans. I'm going to go in this direction. I'm going to live with goals, but God, at any point you can, okay, we're not going to go this way. We're going to go this way now. Okay. I'm surrendered because my plans aren't the center of the universe because I'm really not the one in control, God. 
And so even if I think I'm going right and you want me to go left, we go left. And if I'm going left and you want me to go, then we're going to go right because I'm surrendered. And that's where you find freedom. That's when you start to travel light. And that's what James is driving at here. We'll we'll wrap it up here in an hour or so. Verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Here's all I'm going to say here, and then I'm going to give you some application, and we'll be done. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Here's what I want to say to you. God is not impressed with your smartphone calendar and your laminated vacation schedule. What God wants is an obedient heart. Because if you know, Christian, this is how you ought to live, and you're not living that way, it is sin. And many of us need to repent from that sin today. And you say, but that feels so repent." Yeah, but repentance is the way to travel in light. To say, okay, God, I'm not in control anymore. I'll live under your sovereign hand. And I, it's like I can almost feel in the room the weight that's starting to be lifted from some of your lives. Here's some application as we leave. First of all, I would encourage you to do this as your pastor. Give God thanks for all the plans that didn't come true. Because I think we have a tendency only to thank God for all of our plans that did happen. The reality is, if you really believe this sermon, it means you're going to thank God for all those plans you wanted. And he said no. There's a a great theologian in church history. His name's Garth Brooks. Um, And he said, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Sometimes the best thing God did in your life was he slammed the door. And he said no. And he took you a totally different direction. It wasn't where you wanted to go. It wasn't where you thought you'd go. But it's where God wanted you to go. And you haven't thanked him for that. And you should give him praise. Secondly, is you need to approach each day with a crucified calendar. Approach each day with a crucified calendar. What I mean here is, yes, plan. Yes, live on purpose. Yes, live intentionally. But you do so with a heart that is surrendered to God. Because Jesus taught you to pray Not my will, but your will be done. And that's not just in the big things of life. It's in the everyday of life. Like I take by faith that that five-minute distraction that made me leave five minutes late in the morning protected me from something else during my day. That God is that sovereign over my life. In other words, what I'm getting at is I don't want you to worship like a Christian and yet plan like an atheist. I want you to worship like a Christian and plan like a Christian. And a Christian crucifies their calendar. Thirdly, is lay down the baggage of control for freedom in Christ. Lay down the baggage of control for freedom in Christ. And what I'm getting at here is some of you at Sanctuary, everybody here, some of you walked in today like this, and this is a marriage, this is a relationship with a child, uh, this is a uh, kids going off to college, this is a financial situation, this is a uh, uh, situation at work, and you're all about trying to control it. And you're walking 
walking around heavy laden. And what I'm asking you to do today, what God's word is saying for you to do today is that you've got to lay that baggage down and say, God, I surrender. It doesn't mean I'm passive. It just means I'm surrendered to you. And I'm saying in this marriage and I'm saying in this situation at work or whatever, have thine own way, have thine own way, whatever you will. Peter says it this way, 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Watch, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Will you do that today? Lastly, surrender the uncertainty of this life for the certainty of eternal life. Because what some of you are doing when it comes to this is your eternity. I'm going to be the best person I can be, and I'm going to be better than her and better than him, and, and it'll be enough when all is said and done. My friends, you can't control your eternity. What the Bible calls you to do is to repent of your sin, of running your own life, and trust Jesus. Listen, trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And some of you today, you're not a Christian and you need to give over control of your life and surrender to Him. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, how can I really know that God has a plan for my life? How can I know? And my answer to you is to look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Listen as we close to the words of the apostle. Focus in here. Hear these words. This is Acts 2. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, listen, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, and God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Everybody, faith, family, look right here. I do not know what the future holds, but I know this. I don't need 88 reasons to be confident that God has a plan for my future. I only need one, and it's this. There is an empty grave according to the definite plan of God. And that is the only reason I need to be certain that God has a future for me. And you can bet your life on it. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Let's pray. God, help us, help us by your strength and grace to live this way. If we say we want to travel light, we've got to let go of control. Because we are not the ones that control our lives. You are sovereign, and we repent today of self-sovereignty, and we surrender to your sovereignty in our life. Life is only free, God, when you're God in our life. And so I pray for those of us in this place that we're carrying that baggage, that burden of control, that today we would surrender it, and we would lay it down, and we would continue to live with purpose but we would do so if the Lord wills. Help us, God. 
be free. In Jesus' name, amen.